Hey guys, welcome to Boning Soul. Thanks for joining me again. Um, this episode, I talked to a custom knife maker by the name of Travis Styles. You probably heard him on some other shows. Uh, Travis is a um, well, he he built some really like quality like custom knives. <coughs> Excuse me. He is a uh, he's a hunter. Uh, he's a bow hunter. He um, you know family guy he's a hard-working guy kind of thing and he got into uh, into building these knives um, just because you know he just likes like being creative and doing things with his hands and uh, it was just you know good for him it was a good creative outlet it was good uh, you know kind of therapy for him you know and um, man he, he, he puts out some like like beautiful beautiful stuff so um, I've been wanting to talk to him for a while I've listened to him listened to him on some other podcasts and stuff and uh, it turns out we had a great conversation uh, super easy guy to talk to uh, very 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 down to earth, and uh, I'm I'm glad we had a chance to um, uh, to sit down and, and and talk about his his journey and and the stuff that he puts out and just you know everything in general like we always do. So uh, the, the the conversation kind of flowed every which way and very naturally. Anyway, su- super good guy to talk to. I'm, I'm really I'm really glad that I had him on. So um, anyway, so some updates here. Not a ton of updates. I do have my finally got my Java Man L cart. I don't know if I if I said that on the previous podcast or not so uh that's sitting here i'm looking at it right now it is absolutely beautiful greg coffee you did an amazing amazing job um i've have had more than one request for you know when's the video coming out when's the video coming out when's the video coming out when's the review um i will i will do one i'm still tuning on this thing although i think i've i've settled on a sweet sweet setup um I'll get into that setup a little bit later, probably on another podcast or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I knew when I got this bow that it was going to be different tuning it because I wasn't going to be able to shoot off of an elevated rest like a bare weather rest. I was going to have to deal with uh, shooting off the shelf, and uh, you know, as as we all know, you know that comes with its own um, I don't say complications, but just own set of challenges as far as like it's it's not going to be as easy to tune uh, as as off of an elevated rest. It's just not. I mean, I, I don't care what anybody says. But um, I've got a very, very sweet flying arrow. It's a 500, uh, 500 spine gold tip traditional, uh, shooting it with feathers. I'm still experimenting with um, some flight differences between feathers and trad veins. I've never had trad veins actually like kick and bump off of anything before. And on this one, I'm actually noticing more of a little bump with the trad vein versus feathers. I, I was very, very surprised at that because I'm usually like a big champion of, of the trad vein. So um, anyway, this thing is finally, uh, uh, I, I think, tuned. Uh, it's coming in at about, I'm shooting it at about 43 pounds. Um, and uh, the arrow is about 490. Now I've got some 400 spines on the way, and uh, they got delivered to a my old uh, work address actually uh, today. My boss called me. He's like, "Hey, you got a box waiting for you here." So I'm like, "Oh crap! I forgot to uh, forgot to change the shipping address to my actual house." So I'm gonna go get those. I wanted a little bit heavier uh, arrow. I want to be like over five, five fifty, something like that. But because um, it's shooting just a little bit high for me for what I want for like 20 yards, but other than that, man, it's uh, it's super sweet. So anyway, I'm not going to go too much more into detail with it. You guys have probably seen a couple of the pictures I put on Instagram. It's absolutely beautiful bow. Workmanship is just is just amazing. So um, I'm going to do a, a more in-depth um, uh, review of that bow, either on this podcast or most definitely we're going to be doing some, some videos on it. So uh, I've got that going. Turkey season started. I was only able to get out once so far. I went out last week. 
Uh, checked out a couple spots. Uh, saw absolutely zero zero turkey sign uh, in the in the in the places that I know turkeys live and where I had encounters last last year and some scouting at scouting I did um, or, or earlier this season. But uh, you know I was only able to get out like midday. I'm going to be able to get out middays. I can't do the uh, you know 4:30 in the morning sitting under uh, sitting under a roost tree kind of thing because it just does not work for my schedule. I can't get out that early. I can only go, uh, you know, midday after I drop my, my daughter off at school. And then I got to go, you know, between then and then go, go pick her up in the afternoon. So basically it's going to be a, a, a 10 to a 10 to two or 10 to, you know, something like that affair. So, um, yeah, I'm going to hopefully try and get out, you know, at least once a week, maybe twice a week, but uh, you know, twice a week might be pushing it, but, uh, it just, it was just nice to get out and walk around for a while. It was, uh, it was very cool. So anyway, uh, that's, that's really it. I've just been shooting this bow. I've been uh, putting out some videos. I've been putting out some more videos on the uh, Boning Soul YouTube channel. So if you guys don't subscribe to that, please go subscribe to that. That's that's really huge. Um, again, a lot of uh, you know screwing around with the YouTube algorithms and stuff, and they just kind of jack you around. So the more people go and watch, and the more people like stuff, uh, the better. You know. And there's videos on there too that that are not bow hunting related too. I've started to do my uh, I st we're, we're starting to do this kind of mini series with my daughter. Uh, we bought a uh, our family well, our family we bought a, a Jeep a used Jeep Wrangler and um, you know we're kind of doing quickie little daddy daughter how tos you know how to how to put this on how to install this how to fix that that kind of stuff. So it's uh, kind of a cute little series that that you know my daughter wanted to she really wanted to be on a uh, on a YouTube video with me. So I said okay this might be a, a, a good little project to do that with. So anyway, go check some of that stuff out. Please like, share, and subscribe. Definitely this podcast, like, share, and subscribe. So anyway, uh, no more rambling. Here is my interview with Travis Styles. All right. Okay. Uh, it is recording. Is it recording? Yep. So yeah, there we go. It says recording. Yeah, and on this one too, it doesn't say like how long you're on either. I know on Skype it does. You know, maybe I'm just I right. just don't have the right settings and stuff. But uh, yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, 17 and a half minutes in on this. So welcome, welcome, Travis Styles. How you doing? <laughs> We're finally I'm talking. Doing right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so, so uh, thanks for hopping on. We typically, in in Boning Soul fashion, we had this this uh, ridiculous trying to connect, uh, you know, snafu audio snafu here, trying to communications. You know, in, in modern day and age, it's I, I swear to God, we're going to start doing this with a carrier pigeon, and it's going to be it's going to be better. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So. Um, we've we've kind of uh we've kind of followed each other for a while i've heard you on a bunch of other on a bunch of other stuff but uh mm -hmm. if um if you want to kind of catch everybody up to speed just just kind of just you know the, the reader's digest version of uh you know no one reads reader's digest anymore i don't even know why i say that because i don't think anyone knows what the hell that means but uh the the, 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 the quickie version the google version of uh who you are and what you do uh i'm travis styles i i guess if You've heard my name. You might have heard my name on uh, Jason Sam Koviak's YouTube channel or podcast uh, on Green Mountain podcast or Tradcast with uh, Schaefer Magnet. And um, basically, it's because of the knives that I make right now. I'm a very much uh, a part-time knife maker. I hobby, um, basically just a hobbyist. I do this for um 
like a big thing for me is like a stress reliever. It gives me a creative outlet and, and basically as I started piling up a bunch of these knives and I needed more material. So I started selling them and it just kind of went kind of snowballed from there. But yeah, that's basically it. It's uh, mm, <laughs> it's Reader's Digest. I'm sorry if it sounds real boring, but no, no, it's, it's no. not. It's not whatsoever. <laughs> um, so you're in Michigan, right? Yes. Okay. So what do you what do you? Uh, I know you say you just got off of work. What what is your normal like kind of nine to, or not nine to five? But what is your normal job? Like, and did it kind of lead into this uh, in any way, or is it like related at all? Oh, it's not related at all. It was a uh, one of those things it's <clears throat> ironically I was looking into like different little hobbies I can do at home I gave up a few because I wanted to spend more time at home with my son uh at the time it was I think right around when he was three roughly and uh like a lot of my like passions are like outdoors it's always been hunting and fishing a lot more fishing than hunting when I was younger, but um, then a couple other extracurriculars. So I gave up quite a bit and I kept on to the hunting, but I was making like tables and stuff for my wife, uh, little this, little that refurbishing things. And I was like looking for that next kind of project. And ironically, I was looking into um how to make your own long bows and recurves and stuff like that and looking into kits and i was just cruising through youtube and i came across uh, how to make a knife videos which you can probably find hundreds of them on there right now if you really wanted to and i just started looking at it and i'm like man that looks like fun it's like i was always kind of a weird knife kid whatever when i was a kid and um being the son of a butcher, you would always, my dad would always bring home these, uh, these knife magazines, obviously for kitchen knives, but the same cutlery companies would also have like outdoor knives or, or whatever. So I go right to those. And of course, you know, every kid, you know, especially one that was born in the eighties, you like, Oh man, look at that Rambo knife. You know, like that's, that's the one you're going to say that. Yeah. Yep. Like Rambo (laughs) or, uh, predator or or whatever you know and it's it was just kind of a like an infatuation with me like my dad gave me my first buck knife when i was like six seven and uh it and for some kids they're like oh i had one at four it's like yeah sure you did but whatever right you know but uh but for the most part, dude, it, it was always kind of like that. So <laughs> I always had this infatuation coming into it. And and whenever I went on camping trips or whatever, my wife hated it because I would always come home with a new knife at a sporting goods store because I just had to go in there and grab bait or something for hunting or just whatever. And I'm always bringing home a new knife. So I was like, you know what? I'm I like this stuff. It's like, let's just see if I can even do it. And, and it just kind of snowballed from there. It's I went to Harbor Freight one day and all of a sudden I it's like about a hundred bucks into like, uh, like little things just to make a knife, just like files. I bought a little Harbor Freight one by 30 sander. 
ordered some steel online and just went to town and a bunch of trial and error later, here I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of, um, a lot, especially boys, you know, I don't know if they do anymore, but, uh, mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, I'm 46, you know, I don't know how old you are, but you know, you're, you're, you're probably closer to my age than you are the, you know, the video game age. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, nowadays, and I was me too, just fascinated, um, probably to the horror of my, of my parents, you know, because they're always like, cause I didn't grow up in a hunting and fishing family. Right. So they're right, like, why right. do you need a knife? What's the fascination with it? So I was always into like, like the boy scout thing and cub scouts and, uh, you know, right. outdoor camping and this and that, you know, long before, way, way, way before I even got into hunting or anything like that. But there's just something, uh, I don't know. It's kind of cliche to say like primal about a knife. You know what I mean? Like right, right. now, like our, my video was off, you know? But yeah. I'm sitting here literally uh, just kind of, if you ever sit there and like kind of hone the edge with, with your, with your nail, you know, and just kind of like <laughs> run, 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 you yeah. know, of, uh, I've got a little uh, uh, case here. It's like a, one of like the little tiny mini trappers or whatever like that just because it happens to be sitting right. on my workbench over here. And right. yeah, or, or I'll sit there and I'll, if it's like a, like a flip open knife kind of thing, you know, like one of the bench mains or whatever, you just kind of like flick open, flick shot, flick open, flick shot. Like, oh yeah. You know yeah. what? Wh- I don't know what it is, but we all do it. And there's just something about it, you know? Um, so you, uh, you, you kind of grew up with that. Did you, did you end up, uh, or did you grow up kind of, you said you did fishing a lot, you know, so obviously yeah. you, you use, you know, knives, uh, knives and things like that. Did, uh, was hunting a part of your life when you were younger? So you got, you got to use, you know, uh, cutting implements or anything like that to, uh, kind of, kind of mold which direction you wanted to go, uh, with, 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 with knives or was it just mostly just fishing? It was no, it was uh my dad was a huge, huge bow hunter. It's uh so that was always a big thing. Like but hunting to my dad was not just limited to archery. Like he used he got a compound like I think it was a year before I was born, and he shot the same compound until like so let's just say he bought it in nineteen eighty one, like eighty two ish. He used that compound until ninety eight. 1998, 1999. Yeah. And same. I have it at my house right now. It's, it's mine. He doesn't get it back, but for the most part, it was, you know, gun season, uh, rabbit season, squirrel season. My first ever hunt with my dad was actually squirrel hunting with a BB gun. He got me. And when I first got this BB gun, it was for Christmas. I think I was like seven, eight years old. And here I am in the middle of a Michigan winter blizzard shooting this BB gun, you know, it's like 10, 10 below just out there shooting at his archery target. Cause mm-hmm. he told me, go put it up on uh, you know, put up this paper plate on my target. All right, cool. Yeah. But no, it's uh, so being outdoors has always been a thing with my dad. It's like, uh, that was my biggest thing that I, I really loved. Like that, that was always the greatest thing for me. Uh, that that's awesome now you said you um wanted something like a creative outlet right so were you were right. you kind of a creative kid uh growing up too <laughs> has it always been um mm-hmm. kind of you know like what, what what else did you do that kind of had this outlet or for your outlet for your you know passions okay oh uh, well uh, growing up i always had a i have more of a creative art background um like i always i knew how to draw things regardless like i remember as a young kid like my mom would bring up these old books that she had at my grandmother's house it's 
like they probably cost a dime back in the day to a quarter for these little like 12 page books and she's like here draw this here draw this and for hours at my grandparents house she's just having me draw all this stuff and and she's like wow that one's going on the fridge at home or whatever you know what i mean yeah but i took that and um actually at one time before i uh, i went into the army before I, I got an acceptance letter to get into the illinois art institute in chicago and yeah i wasn't too happy about that because uh I got it kind of late. Apparently it got stuck in the mail somewhere and I had already joined the army and I was like, well, I'm going to the army. I already signed a contract and all that other fun stuff, which, which I'm fine. It, it's not a, Oh man, I'm not going to Chicago. I didn't mm-hmm. really mind cause I was going to do the army stuff. So, um, so now I had a way to actually pay for the college when I got out. But, um, but even when I got out of the army, I went into, uh, like graphic design stuff like that. I want to say graphic design, but I was working towards that, but slowly getting away from it. Uh, but I was, but I've always had an art background when it came to something. I always have to use my hands for something like creatively. Like I, like I've always done it my entire life. I'll build stuff. I'll draw something out or or whatever and the the moment i stopped doing that for a decent period of time is a as a time in my life where i'm like almost depressed it's really strange so it's i'm i'm always i always got to try and do that and when i got out of the army after being in combat and coming back uh and coming back home and dealing with a lot of stress and um with the aftermath it's it it really helped me out a lot more than i ever thought it would yeah because i i use fishing and hunting and being outdoors all the time for that outlet and when my son was born it wasn't that i didn't want to stop doing those things outdoors i wanted to spend as much time with him to be in his life so um it's just trying to find something to keep me home and grounded you know what yeah I mean? yeah yeah no i i didn't know that about you so i i didn't mean to pry if that's if that's a prying question oh, I know no, that, you no. know that's yeah but uh i'm 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 glad to hear that you know what i mean yeah. just uh for for all that because you hear that a lot like um i i've, I've never surfed right but you you know you, mm-hmm. you, li- you listen to a lot of these guys that that come out and you know they're always looking for some sort of either uh you know another purpose or an outlet or whatever so right. this, this seems to be you know seems to be awesome now you said you've always been good good with your hands right um yeah. so do you do you see I, I i can be good with my hands but i don't have the creativity i don't have the creative you know streak like you said you mentioned like drawing for example right i could I right. Can, i'm lucky if i can draw a stick figure okay um <laughs> right. you know so i can always it always amazes me when i see no matter what it is, I, I don't care what, what it is. It could be drawing. It could be a piece of art. It could be, it could be a piece of like engineering, like, like some sort of tool or machine or whatever. Somebody right. has the vision to see it, you know, the finished product in their head kind of thing. And I'm just, it always amazes me. Like, how, how do they get to that? How do they do that? You know what I mean? Cause I, I just don't right. have that. I can, I can look at something and like say, okay, 
someone says build this. Yep. Okay. I can, <laughs> I can do that, you know, right. but I can't, I, I can't be like the idea guy, you know, behind that. So that's, that's always very, very impressive to me. So, um, do mm-hmm. you, um, what was I going to say? Um, okay. So basically you, you grew up very much, very much outdoors related, um, mm-hmm. you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, when, when did you like kind of first start hunting proper? Let's, let's just say for deer. I know you said you did a lot of like small game hunting and stuff with your dad, yeah. but, uh, when did, when did, uh, you know, like the big stuff come along? Oh, uh, well, that's kind of funny. Cause for the longest time, my dad had a real hard time trying to find a decent spot where he can take me and my brother. So after years for, for him, trying to find a good spot he finally found a spot out in the pier michigan and this is about a 50 minute drive from where we lived at in, uh in flint at the time and he'd been bow hunting out there and he took me and my brother along a couple times it was a cow pasture of all things right, that butted right up to state land that had no trees on it but one big oak tree and that was it like it was, it was an old pasture that someone had uh, eventually like uh, sold off to the state. So my dad would always take us out shooting. It was never uncommon for us to do that. <clears throat> and uh, we went through, uh, what is it? Uh, Hunter's education. Did that whole spiel because my dad told us flat out, you boys, if you want to go, we can go hunting next year and I'm going to take you both with me this year. So, uh, it was really strange because my first year actually doing it at the age of 14, I'm sitting by myself. I've never sat by myself in the woods before, but, um, uh, during, uh, uh, Michigan's gun opener and yep. November 15th every year, like clockwork, it's, it's like Christmas with guns. So that's the only thing I can really say. If you yeah. ever listen, you watch Escanaba in the moonlight? I have before? not. I, I, oh my no. God, watch. I know, that. I know. I, it's one of those on my bucket list because everyone mentions it and it's like I miss out on like the inside joke, you know? Right. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's just a thing. And, um, and I was finally going to join with him because, uh, the two previous years, uh, my dad had been taking us along with him. So he, so we got a really good idea of what's going on. So basically, my dad at the age of 14 was like, all right we would do hunting parties even though it like in some states you can use you know if i shoot two deer but only have one tag well, that's okay mm-hmm. my mom's sitting over there and she didn't get one she's going to tag it well you right. can't do that in the state of michigan so uh but he would he taught me you know sit in the morning we push all day push woods all day and then come back and sit in the evening but um, it's funny. It's like going from hunting group to hunting group, uh, how people push woods. And <laughs> that was funny for me, just the first time ever pushing woods with my dad and, uh, my, uh, stepmother's extended family. It was, they make as much noise as possible. Right. Some people sneak and, you know, be as quiet as what they can to try and sneak up on a deer as quick as possible. No, they are literally whistling yelling come on dear come on you know <laughs> jump up let's go you know yeah and you know two like a handful of guys are spread out across and i was like man this doesn't sound like a good idea like all right i'm pushing like i didn't like the idea of pushing deer to anybody or me 
you know, sitting on the receiving end and hoping a deer would come by because it take the small chance of shooting somebody. Yeah. But, yeah. He, but you know what? I guess, you know, to each their own. Uh, luckily, nobody ever got injured. But um, but that was my first experience doing that, uh, like, two, like at the age of 12. But for two years, I did that. Then on opening day when I was uh, uh, 14, I'm sitting in the same uh, cattle pasture and I'm watching the sunrise come up and it's just, you just see everything. It was just wonderful. But I, I never really harvested an animal until I was like uh, almost 16, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. But, but that, even that was a pretty cool experience. Uh, I can give you that. If yeah. You want so, that. yeah. So it, you definitely had the, um, the, you know, the, the deer camp, uh, camaraderie kind of thing. You know, I, I hear that a lot too. Like, again, I didn't grow up with it, but mm -hmm. you hear so many times where, you know, the kids like, okay, well, for the first X many years, all I did was walk around and, uh, you know, follow my dad and recite you know, right. sa safety or whatever, you know what I mean? Or I was allowed to do mm -hmm. this, but I wasn't allowed to carry a weapon kind of thing. And then you just right. kind of graduate slowly, like, okay, we can bring you into the fold now, you know, you've, you've kind of earned your, earned your keep kind of thing at, at camp. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. And I'm I'm guessing was you said so the, the first time was 16. Was that with a with a gun too or or um or that was with a gun, not with a bow. Um I really didn't start bow hunting until 2006, ironically, but um uh but that has that's kind of back and forth, but I'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, uh, it was like they're 15 or 16. Uh, my dad's neighbor had a cabin right on right on the edge of some state land, at least that's what i was told so i don't know some of these guys are sketchy up here and they're like oh yeah that's that's state land over there go over there and sit down all right cool send a little send a kid over there right before on so, x too yeah <laughs> or on x and everything else but yeah. it was actually pretty cool because it was my first year camp was just me my dad my brother and um the owner of the cabin and you now it's where most most boys, when they first go out, you know, they get a their first like beer or whatever after you kill a deer. But uh, I had hunted for four days, and on the fourth day, what is it? Uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I had uh, in the hills of Cadillac area. If anybody's been up there, they know it's in some parts it's like really hilly. So I found this little ravine and this little stream going by. I'm like, oh, this just looks nice. And then you can see a couple little deer trails here and there. And I was like, well, you never know. It's the last, last couple hours of the hunt. Let's do this. And I found this little mound. It's I remember it very clearly as I walk it up to it. It was just this little three-foot mound. And on top of this mound was were three good-sized pine trees. So I just I sat on the ground with almost laying like prone style like you would see in the military mm. and i'm just waiting i'm just looking i'm scanning and so basically i'm completely hidden short of my fat head above this little mound and all of a sudden here comes four does off of what i can clearly see is a property line <laughs> and they're coming down right in front of me so i waited waited till they got in and i picked the biggest doe out <laughs> And that's, 
that's how I got my first deer. Just she came in nice and close. I mean, Josh, she, she wasn't even 30 yards away. Oh yeah. And just put my crosshairs on it and called it good. And only took one shot and I ended up killing the biggest deer out of everybody there. My dad got a nice four point, like he was about a year and a half roughly. And the owner of the cabin, he took a yearling doe. And it was funny as heck putting all the deer on top of the truck before we left because we put the yearling doe inside my dad's buck. Then we put the buck with the doe inside of my doe all the way home. <laughs> like that's how big she was. It was wow. <laughs> like, and I was like, my dad came up. He, you could tell he was happy, but he was also like, man, that's a big doe. Have fun dragging it. See you later. And I was like, what? He's like, I was, <laughs> <laughs> welcome like, to hunting you've seen me, got, you've, you've seen me uh clean or gut out three animals by now i was like yeah all right i'm gonna help you with this one that's the last one i ever help you with i'm like all right he helped me do that then after that he's like well we don't have any rope grab her legs i'll take your gun he took my gun and he just walked his happy butt all the way back like it was nothing <laughs> here i am 60 year old like, ah! you know pulling this yeah pulling this dead weight like that's you know that was my introduction to uh my first kill how and, far was that drag um i want to say it was some ungodly amount of miles but honestly it was probably less than less than a quarter oh, okay yeah less than a quarter and and luckily she died not too far from um uh, I wouldn't say uh, like a two track or something like that. Mm. So at least I had something of flat ground, but, yeah. but of course, like halfway back, I always had to go over this giant log that fell in the, in the road. So here I am like <laughs> grunting and groaning, trying to get this dough over this log. And dad looks back at me. He's like, what are you complaining about? You're young. Pull that thing. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, all right. All right. But yeah, I, I made it back, and I learned that no matter what age you are, dragging a dead animal out of the woods sucks. Sucks. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but what, but what, it's a good kind of suck. What's more striking to me is, uh, in a good way, is that like, you remember right now in that recounting that story, like a lot of those details, right? Like you remember right. what everyone shot and where everyone was and that kind of stuff. And right. I think that's, um, you know, those those are those are things that the, the non-hunting community or, you know, populace, let's say just right. we'll never get, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, they might get it in other ways. If you know what, whatever their, you know, hobby or sport or whatever happens to be, you know what I mean? But oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, but it, it's just, it's just one of those things where like you remember so much about certain experiences because you share them, you know, with, with either just by yourself and, and, you know, the animal and nature, or you share them with, with, with family and friends and stuff. And, um, oh, that's, that's, that's always, uh, it's always been very cool to me. So, um, mm -hmm. so then, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, after, you know, after a while you were in the military, did you, mm -hmm. you, you weren't, obviously you said you got deployed and stuff. So, you know, hunting, yeah. not, not, non-existent. And then, mm -hmm. um, w w did you get back into it when you, when you got back then right away or, um, actually it did. And, um, and I'd been away from it for so long and I was so worried when I got home, like I was trying to find work and it was, it was really hard to find work at the time. But, 
um, I didn't use any vacation time. And my best friend gives me calls like, you're going to come out hunting, right? And I was like, oh, man, that's coming up real quick. And I was like, yeah, but uh, I'll get a hold of my dad and see where I'm going. He's like, well, just come out with me. And it kind of worked out because um, it's uh, his grandfather had like 20 some odd acres and in gains not too far from where I grew up. And he's like, well, we got this 20 acres and we got the 20 acres right next to that. Then like two more. So basically we had about 60 acres to go hunt. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Um, My friend really pushed it because uh, with as much as what I enjoyed going out and doing this stuff, like his dad was like way more into it. Like he would pull him out of school for duck season for two or three days at a time. And, (laughs) and, uh, and especially in my school, like the last three years I was in high school, they shut down like they closed school for mm-hmm. opening day yeah and because everybody was gone boys girls whatever it didn't matter and and when i got back like he wanted to make that a point to take me out and i had never gotten a buck or anything like that i only killed one deer one time and in i guess this is the trial and error period of uh of hunting but um, it, like I said, it was gun season. This is before I got back into bow hunting a couple of years and God, man, I tell you what, I got so trigger happy and so nervous and buck fever like you wouldn't believe I wasted more ammo in the first two days. And I searched for blood for like for the first two, three days more than I did anything else. Yeah. And, and I, I'll admit it. I was one of those hunters that they're like, Oh, they don't practice. It's like, no, I practice a lot. I just got trigger happy and, and buck fever. And I'm sorry if it makes it sound bad on your podcast. No, that's, honest, yeah. <laughs> it's just being honest, but, um, and I got, I remember my, uh, my friend's little brother is like, dude, it's not like a war zone down there. I was like, well, I had a group in front of me and I had three deer tags. Let's fill them all. Right. <laughs> so i thought i seen one go down but anyway all the excuses in the world doesn't go from like uh doesn't get away from the fact that buck fever so bad right so anyway after a day of just kind of cooling off and really collecting myself i i only took three shells in the woods for the last two days of my hunt and on the last day again at the the last hour of light um my buddy is like well i got this one spot over in this 20 acres it's always really produced so he gets over there we both go over there he's like all right i'm gonna sit here you go walk like another 100 yards i'm like it just walks straight i'm like all right not a problem well i get 30 yards into it and all of a sudden here's a group of five does i was like oh yeah so i just kind of sit by a tree and he's all of a sudden i hear whistling and i hear tapping on a tree like hey move your butt keep going i was like there are deer here you know you know as quietly as what i could well after they see me and commotion goes on they scamper off and i continue down about another 20 yards and all of a sudden i see this nice little basket rack six come in and i just i did everything you're supposed to do i took a knee i took a deep breath i settled into my end of my um uh my stance 
and I'm just controlling my breathing. I'm controlling my breathing. All of a sudden, I just feel that squeeze. Just feel the squeeze. And boom, just one shot, dropped it. Just, it was perfect in, yeah. in every way. And like my, my, my buddy was happy for me. I called my dad instantly. And, and I was like, you'll never believe it. I got a deer. It's awesome. You know, so when I got back, that was really important to me. And uh, my buddy helped get me back into it. And, uh, you know, it, it was just that, that feeling of being back in the woods that, that it was a really warm November too. And like, I've never been in uh, November 15th opener and not had to wear five layers of clothing before. So the fact that I can actually be mobile, move around and, right. um, and all that stuff, it was just great, man. And, uh, but you know, like when I came back, my, my best friend really helped me out a lot more than, than what he thought. And, uh, especially with dealing with everything else. So, you know, that, that really got me back into it and, and what it did, it just kind of snowballed from there. So like we were a friends, so I always gifted each other big things. Like um, I used to make fishing rods back in the day. And, and I, I took this small class in college and it, it, needless to say, I needed one credit. It was a fishing class. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and my friends make fun of me still to this day, but I aced that class because I was the only one that could catch anything. So, yeah. <laughs> but part of that class is he was giving an example of how to make a fishing rod. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And I learned how to do it. And um, luckily a spot in Lansing, not too ill, far from my school actually could sit you down and put you through all the paces uh, i ended up making like four or five of them at that time but um i gifted him a, a rod that i built uh, and he gifted me a muzzle loader oh. and so now my deer season went from just 15 days of gun to all right cool now i got an extra 10 days of muzzle loader yeah um i had more issues with that muzzle loader than i care to admit i have uh but needless to say it, it served its purpose and got me out in the woods what what and, was it was it like an inline or or like a like a hawking or oh no it was a cba cap and ball okay it was when it, when that thing fired man it was like i i could touch rounds no problem with it 50 yards just a standard lead ball mm. 80 grains of powder oh just and, lead ball okay yeah Yep, just lead ball. It was a very basic, uh, and that's the way uh, growing up that my best friend was always taught. Like muzzleloader is not inline; it's cap and ball. Like he hunts with a flintlock to this to this right. day. And uh, so he got me into that. We did that for a season or two. Then eventually, in two thousand and six, uh, we both decided we we're going to try bow hunting, and. Um, I actually called my dad up because he'd been begging me to buy a bow and get into bow and stuff. Like I had a couple other activities I was spending money on at the time and uh, he was excited, but he had ironically moved down to, uh, was it Florida? Uh, incidentally, it, it's weird, but it was a weird situation because especially during the recession, like a lot of people were like, he was out of work and 
you know what I mean? Looking for any kind of work. We had family down there at the time, but anyways, long story short, he ended up moving down there exactly the same time I picked up my bow hunting. And that was a whole new addiction. Like I, during muzzleloader season, I, I just put the muzzleloader up because my bow would shoot every time I pulled it back, as opposed to that muzzleloader that would only go off when it was extremely dry outside. <laughs> It, it hated any kind of moisture i've never yeah. had a problem with yeah, any any uh yeah any muzzle loader but yeah mm. i don't know what it is we tried every little trick in the book and and like i said in the summertime i could put that thing would shoot all day long no problem <clears throat> i'd go home clean it it'd be squeaky clean just uh, yeah i'm not a i still have it it's in my in my gun safe right now but uh it's more of a keepsake now and mm-hmm. i explained it to my best friend and he understands it's it's nothing personal but <laughs> but yeah but, if it doesn't work it doesn't work yeah it doesn't it doesn't work all the time it only wants to work when it wants to work and i was tired of hang fires and you name it just so yeah. i i just kind of put it up and uh maybe one day i'll pick it back up and maybe i'll have some little attachment that'll fix everything for me I don't know. Hmm. So then you're into bow hunting now. You, uh, I'm into bow you, 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 you get, uh, you put up the muzzle loader. You're like, okay. And I guess you said, uh, right when your dad moved to Florida mm-hmm. then you started picking it. So what, what was that first bow? Was that the one he was shooting with? You said, or was it something else? Oh no, he wouldn't get rid of that thing to save his life at the time. Uh, that old Browning bow of his. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, uh, I picked up a Hoyt Viper Tech. Okay. And it's like slam cam and a half. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but I shot that bow for quite a few years. And let's see, I got it in 2006, got the whole setup. And the, actually, the for being a small shop that didn't primarily uh, specialize in archery, the guy behind the counter actually knew what he was doing enough to get me started. So that's what I appreciated the most about it. Uh, but yeah, that bow, God, I, I only killed a handful of deer with it. To be honest with you. I was, I was really in a big, big learning curve because even though my dad had always taken me and my brother out like, gun hunting he'd taken us out a couple of times bow hunting with them but i didn't know the two were so different it, they it, to me gun hunting and bow hunting are completely different oh, and, totally. now, yeah. and then when i now add in my traditional traditional is completely different to me than what it compound hunting is mm-hmm. and like these are the different steps like these are my learning curves coming into this and you know as as a gun hunter especially hunting with my best friend like if it like 99 percent of our shots were under 30 yards with a gun right and i'm like well i can do that with a compound well i was trying to gun hunt while bow hunting does that make sense it 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 does i think okay i'm, I'm not I'm, i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think what no, you're trying fine. to say is the distances are there but your mm-hmm. setups for actually being able to take an actual shot and not getting busted mm-hmm. are completely right. different, right? Right. 
Yeah. You know, I would sit up in an open field more with a gun than I would with a bow. Correct. And, yeah. And, but anyway, so like when I made that transition, it was a, it was a harder transition. It was, uh, it was quite a few years of trial and error. I had a couple close encounters, but uh, ended up getting busted for just little movements. Mm-hmm. And then tree stand or uh, are you on the ground still at this point? Or what are you, what are you uh, hunting in? Back and forth uh, at my, at this time, I'm still hunting at my buddy's property. Right. And we would always go through and put up a tree stands at different spots. But he and I, like we ground hunted forever like to this day like he has tree stands all of his property but he's taking more deer from the ground than he has anything else like but it's just learning to blend in and um uh, learning what i can and cannot get away with and each deer is different you know because everyone's going through a different mood like right a young buck through the rut doesn't pick up on as much as a two or three year old doe or even a four year old doe obviously yeah they don't pick up on anything other than like doe scent <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's the only and, thing running through their mind <laughs> right and um you know then after quite a few years of me hunting out there with them and we were noticing a uh, especially during the recession a lot of guys stopped going like an hour to five hours up north in, in northern michigan to go hunting they started trying to find places around them a lot more so we start seeing it plus a handful of deer from he myself and his father you know taking all these deer on a regular basis we just started seeing deer numbers decline and decline and decline and in this one spot like it was nothing for us to go out opening day gun season and see like 20 30 deer hmm. then it went to man i saw two deer today that was it and really? that you might see, yeah, it, it got real, got real scarce real quick. Why, why, also, why is that you think? Well, especially during the recession, like you got to think like driving five hours up North, that's gas money. That's food. That's, that's five days away from you or two days or three days away from your house. And right. when you can make money, if you even had a job at that time, like a lot of people are losing all the jobs in uh, Michigan quite often. Um, yeah, during that got time. hit pretty hard, yeah. They did is uh you know, between the auto automakers, the big three, then uh like even my father, like that was a big thing for him. He was in construction, he did drywall work after he gave up on meat cutting and uh you never call a person who's uh, an actual tradesman a butcher you call him a meat cutter so that's what my dad did for years and years before he met my stepmother and she actually taught him how to finish drywall and he became real good at it they did it well anyway he was in construction and when the recession hit obviously the housing market took a huge hit and that was his bread and butter he went from making a really good income to making damn near nothing mm. and finding job to job well it wasn't just him. It was like quite, quite a few people at that time. And I, is especially for the area that we lived in in Genesee County, like especially after General Motors moved a lot of their manufacturing to Mexico or other states. Um, you know, it, it was already a, a slowly dying city, but that was really the knife in the back. 
yeah. that recession. And a lot of guys, they would live in Genesee County, uh, Flint, Greater Flint area, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they work in different counties doing construction. Well, okay. The big three took a hit back in the 80s and 90s. Then yeah. recession hit and that went down. In, in 08, that, right, too, the whole housing thing blew up and oh, that took a yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we saw it way before 08 way okay. before yeah. and uh I, i'm sorry i don't mean to make it sound like oh we're the only ones that seen it first but um i'm i'm not trying to say that sorry mm-hmm. no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah uh, but in like i said in 2006 2007 my dad moved and because he had already been trying to find work at that time and it was it was just really hard and so they went down to visit family and that's when he left but um but yeah, during that time, a lot of guys stopped going up north because that was an expense they couldn't really put out at the time. Right, right. So they started knocking on doors. Oh, my buddy says, always come out to my house. We got tons of deer out here. They were talking like guys with only five acres, 10 acres, whatever. And all of a sudden they go from seeing one hunter every couple of, every couple of weeks to now you got two or three guys on like anything from five to 10 acres, like trying to blast everything in sight mm. or trying to fill the fridge. Yeah. And, you know, they got guys like, well, instead of paying $600 for a week off, how about I give it to this farmer and he lets me hunt here for the better part of the year. Mm. And he gives me unlimited doe tags. Right. Because he wants all that. Uh, those corn-eating bastards off his property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're getting at. Yep. So that was a big thing, especially in my area where I was at. And um, we did catch people poaching uh, quite a bit in the off season. I was really surprised on that, but uh, but I can't really speak. I I don't agree with it at all. And poaching is the worst thing you can do, but. I've also seen seen people like with very little in their fridge and not knowing how to feed their family. Yeah. And and there was only so much to go around. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I but, I, I so, hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's always yeah. a difficult uh, conversation too, you know, like people like just, just like what you're saying. Um oh, yeah. you know, when when is you've heard it before, like when is poaching okay you know are you going to starve to death and then other people say well you know in this day and age uh there are so many you know right or wrong there's so many government programs you don't even need to do that kind of thing but again i luckily knock on wood i've never been in that situation so i'm not going to pass judgment on someone who's who's at is at that that point you know what i mean um oh i get it completely because growing up my um like i grew up in government housing yeah and you know, we didn't have land. We didn't have anything like that. We'd always go to state land. You know what I mean? And my dad would always buy his tags legally every year, stuff like that. But, you know, there were a lot of friends that, like, they depended on that. Like, right. they depended on, like, getting two, three deer a year and to help feed their family to offset that cost. They're like, well, you know, hunting clothes cause this. So it's like, I've seen more deer taken down on the ground with blue jeans, a pair of work boots and a yeah. flannel <laughs> than, than I can even count. Like when everybody's telling me like, oh man, you don't have sicko. You're not going to stay out there very long. Bullshit. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how hard, how hungry are you? It's like, do you, do you do this as a hobby or are you doing this to help feed family? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like, we can play this game. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 No, I, I get it. So, um, h- how long then, uh, you, you said, uh, you got, you got back into it and then did you, did you say you were successful that how long before you were successful with, with, with the point that you bought? Um, it took me three years to finally kill my first animal with a bow. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mother-in-law started dating a farmer not too far from the house. Uh, my, me and my wife, uh, had bought and he had 150 acres. I was like, whoa, really? I was like, I've talked to him one day. He's like, you let anybody hunt out there? He's like, yeah, I got a couple buddies that come out. But he's like, if you want, come on out, kill a deer. I was like, heck yeah. Five minutes away from my house, I'll be there. Sweet. So I went out with a friend of mine and I needed his eye to see things because that I might overlook real Mm -hmm. quick because of my excitement. So we went out there, looked around. I seen a couple trees dance. Like, All right, a couple buddies, whatever. Then I started looking around. I was like, man, I'm kind of liking this spot here. It's not too far from the road. And it's not that I was looking for something close to the road. It was just, I was sign, like, I was just seeing the trails and everything, the movement. Yeah. And at least the best of my ability at that time. Well, I put a ladder stand up and, um, I get it all set up and looking pretty. I didn't have to trim anything. Then opening day comes. I go out to the spot and there are 10 trucks parked on this farmer's front yard. <laughs> 10 trucks. Like, I'm not even lying. And, and I'm not talking like, oh, one person per truck. No, there was an average of a two to three guys per truck. I was like, oh. damn. <sighs> well, I was like, well, I got all dressed up. I'm going to the party, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so I, I headed out there. I felt kind of discouraged. I was like, man, I've been on state land and I've been the only person there for weeks. Mm-hmm. Come on. You know, but, uh, but I, I go to the spot uh, to my spot and I get in the ladder stand and, and I just get this feeling like, God, I'm just not feeling it. Like the, all these guys are over here and it's like, I'm going to get away from them. Screw it. So I get up, I get about 200 yards from, um, from my stand. I'm walking along the edge of this field and there's this little, little pot of trees, uh, out in the middle of this bean field of his. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit right here. I'm right. Not too far from an edge, but I'm just, I'm just going to sit down right here, kind of collect my thoughts and just try and figure this place out well while i'm sitting down i obviously i have an arrow knocked all the time but i'm walking i sit down on this convenient log that is low to the ground but just high enough and and i'm just sitting back kind of scratching my head for a second and all of a sudden pop pop here comes two uh these doe fawns whatever just right out of right out of the tree line like I'm like, really? So I just pop my head up and I'm, I put my uh, uh, my my wrist rocket on the bow and I'm just looking at them like, oh, they're too small. I ain't going to kill anything that small. Now, you get a, 
And as soon as I say they're too small, they come running right at me. It got to the point where I actually like swatted one on the nose and it finally seen me and, and it finally took off. <laughs> I was like, go away, live, go bye. Did, uh, did, did mama doe come out after them then or no big brother came out. So that worked out actually in my favor. It was uh, a decent two-year-old for Michigan. I'll give him that. Like, uh, this is my biggest buck to date, and it was my first one with a bow. <laughs> so he popped out at the same spot, and I'm just looking, and I was like, man, that's less than 30 yards all day long, and that's my shot. And it's all open field. It's just beans. So he comes out, looks around for a second, and I come the full draw, and I'm just kind of waiting, and he's seen me move, but he didn't stop going in the field. So he's just kind of walking like with a lot of attention, you know what I mean? Like yes. w- with a lot of intent, I guess you should say. And he was on a mission. Yeah. He was on a mission, but then he kind of looks at me real quick and just starts to trot, like not running, just kind of trotting. And I'm just following, following him. I'm leading him, leading him. And I just squeeze my trigger. And sure enough, like I hit him. I was like, yeah, because I heard this pop, this loud smack, and I seen the arrow in him. I'm like, all right, cool. Then he's running away. I'm like, oh, that's not a good shot. That's not a good shot at all. I'm not going to lie to you when I say I, I that was my first and last ever Texas heart shot. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> ironically, it's like he ran off, and that's the most blood I've gotten out of a deer in, in my life really like i hit both femorals i actually i was gonna say yeah i i literally got both femorals on that it penetrated all the way through and he ran more in an open field than he did in the wood line oh shit but i let but i let him lay overnight like literally i tracked him i followed his tracks i followed the blood ray charles could have found this in the dark like that's how much blood was on the ground and um, I marked the spot where he went in at. I actually was working third shift at the time in my old shop. And I, uh, I, I, went, I worked this entire shift, just, just the entire time. Like, oh, man, what's going on? You know, oh, is it, am I going to find him, whatever? And finally, I get out at 8 a.m. My beat feet. I had my bow, my muck boots, you know, everything I needed to go track this deer. And I got a, uh, got a hold of the farmer, and he's like, well, I'll go back there with you. Yeah, we'll hop in the truck. Let's go. And he drove right through the center of his bean field like he didn't care. And, <laughs> and he's like, ah, I don't care about those damn beans. And he goes back there, and we, we find the spot where he went in at. I marked, and he was there 25 yards piled up. He'd been stiff as a board for God knows how long. Yeah, overnight. Yeah, and, the whole night. Oh. Oh yeah. And I was just so ecstatic. Not a coyote got on him, not nothing. He was just sitting there pretty as can be. Awesome. And you know, it, you know, it, it taught me a lot. It's, it's not a shot that I would really take right now. Um, like a walking deer. Yeah. But on a trot, it's still kind of iffy, especially with a, a recurve or a long bow right now. But mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where I look back and it's like, I got really lucky. 
I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that luck that I had that day, but it's also one of those things that happens in hunting because I have tracked more gut shot deer from neighbors or whatever. And, you know, I try and talk to them. It's like, man, you got to ease up on that trigger or like, come on over, we'll go shooting or, or something. And, you know, it's last minute Charlie all the time. Like, Oh man, it, it worked good five years ago. It'll work good again. And it's, you know, like I, I, I've tracked deer for a half mile and finally find them piled up, you know, it's, it, and so that was that, like I said, that was a learning experience. It was a happy experience, but it was, it was a learning experience for me. So like, you can't always get perfection in every shot, but you strive for your perfection in every situation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can kind of relate a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't a bow kill because my first, mm-hmm. you know, bow kill was, was pretty, um, you know, uneventful, right. Um, right. <clears throat> compound. But my first deer kill ever was with a, a Mosin Nagant, right. Um, I don't know if you're into like military surplus rifles at all, or if you know any, any of them, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's an old Russian, you know, uh, it shoots a seven, six, two by 54 round, you know? Okay. Um, and this is like the carbine version. It's got like a folding bayonet, you know, like pretty cool. They used to be like super cheap at like, you know, when they started importing them about, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Now they've, they've, they're, you know, they're hard to find, but not hard to right. find, but they weren't like, they're not by the crate full, you know, at, uh, at the local fleet farm or whatever. Um, yep. so anyway, that one, you know, and I was, you know, reloading and I, you know, all my own stuff and, and I wanted to, you know, take a deer with that thing, you know, cause I thought it was, you know, pretty cool. And, uh, mm-hmm. we were just at a buddy's property and, you know, he shot at a deer and we, you know, we didn't know a ton too. Like, I mean, this is like, you know, year, not that many years ago. Um, right. but I would probably say, um, uh, gosh, let's, I mean, we, we had a lot to learn, right? I, I had a lot to learn. So our tree stands weren't all that far apart. They're in ladder, ladder stands, this and that. So I hear him shoot and he's like, coming at you, you know, cause I could hear him that close. Right. And uh, so I start kind of seeing it and, and he was running toward me and I didn't know that whether he'd hit him or not. And so I start shooting now this, this thing, no matter what I did to this rifle, I couldn't get it to shoot like decent enough past like 50 yards. Right. No matter uh-huh. how much I wanted this thing. Um, and I mean, I, I tried different bullets, different loads, different uh, size, size, you know, different size bullets and things like that. Cause the bores on these things aren't all that great. Anyway, long story short, I actually ended up hitting cause I saw it kind of hunch up and, uh, and, and run off. I, just dumb luck that I actually did connect on this thing. And I emptied the rest of like the, the magazine on this thing, um, right. you know, trying to, you know, long story short, we ended up bumping it same deal waited overnight you know and it's like man we're gonna find this thing we're not gonna find this thing and by miracle the next morning um i after searching for i don't know an hour maybe i happened to look down and i found one little drop of blood i mean one tiny little drop of blood on one tiny little leaf i'm like oh and and, then it just like you know all of a sudden it invigorates your day and then uh (laughs) you know you you kind of get a hunch like okay i think it was kind of heading this way when i last bumped it and you go find it. We found it. And that was, that was my first year. But I, I, nice. the point I'm trying to make with that, the, the point I'm trying to get at with that is, you know, I was so intent on shooting something with that, you know, m- you know, M44 Mosin Nagant that uh, yeah. in, in, and I left better shooting guns at home. You know what I mean? 
Oh yeah. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I still, you know, this year I, I, I killed a deer with, with another military surplus, but I mean, that one, yeah. I'm, I, it's, it's a super accurate gun. It's an old, it's an old, uh, um, a Yugoslav Mauser. Uh, but, but yeah, we, I, I think you, you got to do those stupid things, you know, whether they work out in your favor or not, just to kind of like learn, like, okay, uh, I did this and I got damn lucky, or I did this and uh, it, it bit me in the ass. You know what I mean? Right. And you, you got to change something up, either either your, your 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 tactics or your effective range or your equipment or or something. You know, it's just it's right. just part of that bank of data that you uh, kind of collect just just hunting. You know. Well, it, unfortunately, with like a lot of things, especially with outdoors, it's like, like my dad would always tell me, well, don't go down there because you're not going to like the outcome. It's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm going to go down there anyway, down this ravine or whatever. And sure enough, I'm, I, I take one step into the soft uh, muck and I'm buried up to my crotch in, in muck. And he's like, see, I told you, I dig yourself out, you know, or or whatever. And it's uh, it's like anything when you're trying something new or something different it's always trial and error it's like even with traditional equipment it's it's trial and error you're trying to figure out what works for you it's it's like with me and like my bow buying uh, obsession yeah, like my friends tell me like like me and Schaefer always uh magnet always go back and forth because if he's not buying a bow i'm buying a bow or whatever i'm i'm trying to i want to test as many out because i want to try and find that one bow that just fits me perfectly and Mm -hmm. and i found a really good one right now that i'm kind of settling on and it's okay to be a boho that's fine i I, it's a boho yeah yeah i've called him a boho before too and i've been called that that's fine i'm I'm okay with it you know what i mean right that's the fun and that's what i'm and, and that's what i'm trying to get it's it's trying to figure out what works for you and and that also goes with your hunting tactics you know it's like you find one thing works for you for you one magical hunting day you want to try and replicate that Mm -hmm. so you strive to see if that works again yeah like whether it's on the same day the same gun wearing the same underwear you know it like which is a thing in michigan like uh like at, at hunting caps oh i got the same flannel on that i killed three deer with in the last three years let's see if it works again lucky flannel here we go that's that confidence you know? thing though you know it, uh if, 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 if you walk into the woods like knowing you can do something then i mean right. you, you've, you've already like kind of you know won half the battle there so yeah i i, I get that oh um, definitely so so that, that's kind of a good transition there so when did you uh when did you kind of switch over to the traditional side and then how, how's that kind of journey been uh traditional side i would like to say i started in 2000 and shoot 2018 okay 2017 ish i'm I'm probably about when i did yeah that's about that's about kind of when i got into it in earnest yeah and i i really got into it a little bit before then because um my dad growing up uh could like like i said like i told you before we grew up in government housing stuff like that so in order to help keep my love for outdoors going he would stop at garage sales whatever and once in a while he 
pick up a bow. Well, finally he found this old bear, bear cat reeker, I think it was, or no, it was a bear fox. It's some fiberglass. It was like mm. like one of those kits you got back in the day for like 50 bucks, and it came with arrows, a bow, and a quiver or a back quiver or whatever. Yeah. And like that was made in the early 60s. Well, I shot that thing forever and forever. And but and how I learned how to shoot that was actually shooting carp in the springtime through the summer with mm-hmm. my dad. So and I and I missed it. It's like I just liked it. It's like I liked my Hoyt. My Hoyt shot wonderful for me, but I just kind of missed it. And I I kept on dabbling. I went on Facebook, found the forums and uh the buy selling trades for for recurves and and I found uh I never knew this, but Kalamazoo uh, traditional uh, uh, expo. Yeah, I never knew about it, but, and of course, I found out about it almost a month later when it happened. <laughs> so I'm like, "Well, you know what?" And, and I told my wife at that point, she's like, "You know what? I'm like, I'm gonna save this date, and I'm going to it next year, and I'm gonna go shoot every bow that I possibly can at that shoot." and that's all I did. It's like I went around from booth to booth, and they're like, "I'm like, oh, you shoot?" I was like, "Well, I'd like to." It's like I'm trying to find out which one I like, and so I shot as many as what I could. I come around, and I ended up going to Java Man, and that was the first bow that I picked up. I actually called him up after the expo and talked to him, and I went to his house and or his shop. And actually bought a bow, like one of the stock bows that he had, the 58 inch, 50 pounds at 28, uh, elk cart. Yeah. And it was a good shooting bow, but in my infancy, it, when it came to uh, traditional bows, like I was, I shot it for a year. I hunted with it like four or five times because I still had my compound at that time. So when I went into my next season, I had actually given my bow, my compound away to my little brother. I was like, you wanted a newer bow, give this a shot. If I have this, I'm never going to shoot this damn longbow. So it, if I had that crutch with me all the time, I, I would always be thinking if I had this, if mm-hmm. I had that. So I got rid of it and I just went all in. Well, ironically, at this time in 2018, no, I shot it like, yeah, 2017 was my first year doing it. So I had actually got a hold of Bob Smith, and I really wanted to try out one of his bows because he never made it to Kalamazoo. So I actually had a custom bow on order from him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how my bow ho-ness started. Started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but um, I started off with that L cart and I shot it and I shot it and shot it every day to the point where my wife was like, what are you doing again? You're putting holes in the side of our garage because you're missing the target. <laughs> so, you know, but like even my buddies driving by my house at the time because I live right in town in this really rural, rural village in in Michigan and 
and they're like, man, I said, you know, after you're shooting your boat, you shoot a lot. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not going to get better sitting on the couch. I got to start shooting this sucker, you know? Yeah. So, and damn fun. Yeah. And plus like, you know, yeah, it's fun. It's, I actually enjoyed shooting again. It's like my compound. I took it out a week or two beforehand, shot it four or five times. And I, I just didn't have the same joy in it. Yeah. And but with with my longbow in my hand, it's God. If I don't shoot this thing, I'm never going to get better. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, but I'm actually enjoying it, like ten times more than I ever did with my compound when I first got it. So it's it just reminds me of like my dad bringing it back from like back in the day when he got me that recurve at the garage sale and gave me a whole bunch of aluminum arrows that were kind of bent or <laughs> being cut down for me or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Here you go. Yeah. Have at it. Yeah. Have at it, dude. And go to town. Just don't lose them all because you know, they cost money. All right. Yeah. I learned how to find arrows really well when I was a kid. So, you know, yeah, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Elkarts, my mine came in today. I've um, seen that. that yeah. Thing I'm actually beautiful. holding it right now. Like it's some, you know, cause, cause, cause that's what you do. You have to, and just kind of caress it in a little bit. Right. Um, you know? Yeah. It's uh, and I, I was actually putting uh, string dampeners and um, clicker and all that stuff on it. But before you called, I was, I've been shooting it here in my basement. So nice. I have, I have yet to, uh, to take it out, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he, Greg makes just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Um, it though. Yeah. And it, uh, the, the grip is just, is just great for me. I love, I love the thing. So I got, I got a 56 inch, uh, you know, 45 to 27. So, right. um, yeah, this thing is just, is just beautiful. Uh, right. I, I'm, I'm never able to make it to any of these kind of expos or, um, you know, gatherings or anything like that in, 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 right. in the traditional realm. So I don't get to shoot these bows unless like I actually buy them, you know, um, right. and I've bought and sold a, t- a ton of like, uh, uh, traditional equipment, you know, so I get the whole boho oh. thing. Um, <laughs> so right now I'm, I'm just down to my bear grizzly. And then this one, you know, and like I said, this just came today and it's, I mean, it's shooting like so, so nice for me. And, nice. um, you know, so what, what do you look for in, in a bow that makes it like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to work, you know, cause, um, you know, for me, you know, people are probably sick of hearing about it, but you know, grip, grip is everything for me. And it's just got to feel right. And you know, when you pick it up, you're like, Oh, this is going to work, you know, oh, yeah. um, that that's it for me. What, what, what are the, what is like the, the things that you look for? Um, a repeatable grip. Yes. Uh, that's, that's what I'm starting to find right now. It's, <clears throat> um, like with my widow, uh, if I ever, if I don't sell it, which I don't want to because it has my name on it. And I'm weird about that. If it has what my name have? on it, um, I have a PSA. It is 60 inches and 53 pounds at my draw length at 28 inches. Okay. And, and I was told for a very short man, I'm lucky to have that draw length. So I kind of anchor far back on my face, um, but I, I bear it in my cheek. Mm more than anything else and it's it's just something my dad always taught me growing up and i've been able to stretch out my draw length a little bit more because of it good or bad that's what it is but anyway um so i got the low asbel grip on that 
but the Asbel grip is a little bit fatter. And when I shot it at uh, KZU uh, Expo, being now two years ago, thanks COVID, and uh, it just it just felt real good. It's like I it it just felt perfect. Well, after after putting a season through it, after I got it in June last year i shot it shot it shot it shot it and it was just i'm just noticing it was just really hard to get the same grip over and over again so i actually want to send the riser in or actually i might take it with me to the compton shoot in Berrien springs and talk to him and see how much it is to have the grip taken down a little bit more i'm i'm low i'm noticing a lot more that i I, I gravitate more towards a longbow grip, but I wanted a a um, the speed of a recurve. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And because I don't want to be just a longbow guy, I want to have a couple of recurves in the stable. And right now I got rid of the other recurves to get that PSA. And I can shoot it just fine. Am I perfect with it? No. Can I hit what I'm aiming at 99% of the time? Okay, 95% of the time. I'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, but I feel pretty confident with it, but I'm not as confident with it as what I am with my uh, Kalamazoo Bowworks Arcadia mm-hmm. that Dave made me. So what I'm – and after shooting his bow, and I, I blow his head up quite a bit when I say this. Like, I've shot some pretty smooth bows, but the draw cycle on Dave's bow – it's going to be hard to find in anything else I find. Mm-hmm. Is that Dave, Dave Darling? Is that? Yes, Dave Darling. Yeah, okay, Dave yeah. Darling, Kalamazoo Bow Works. Look him up on Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to find. Uh, the Kilted Bow Ear. Yep. Uh, yeah, but uh, actually, I went to the Michigan uh, Traditional Bow Hunters Jamboree last year. I became a member. And it's ironically less than 30 minutes drive from where I live. So I was on a week-long layoff. My wife had been working me around the house like a dog for four days. And I told her I'm taking half a day in between painting something in the house at the time, all the housework. And I went down there and shot for half a day. And as soon as I signed up, Dave's booth was like right next to where you pay for all your, uh, your shooting for the day. And, and I was like, you're the guy I want to talk to. I want to shoot one of your bows. And he's like, well, that works out. I have a handful right here. So, <laughs> and it's kind of snowballed from there, but I shot his Boardman uh, recurve and that thing is smooth, but I picked up his Arcadia. I think that was, I think he gave me a 58 inch at that time. It was like roughly around 47, 45 pounds ish, uh, uh, that ballpark and it, it it's hard to explain until you actually shoot one but like all of my 50 because I usually shoot about low 50s that's always been my sweet spot and the draw cycle was on it that his bow has is so smooth that the next bow I'm getting from uh, I'm having a make for me or whatever uh I am literally getting it 60 pounds. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like it yep. at all. He has a much thinner profile on his limb. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and with my big stick uh, hitman because I have an assassin that Bob made me. I bought the hitman off of Schaefer, and Schaefer's bow is forty-seven at twenty-nine. I shoot twenty-eight, so I'm figuring about forty-five pounds. And Bob Smith's big stick is a smooth bow as well. It's a sixty-two inch though, and my bow is a sixty uh, from uh, Kalamazoo Bow Works. They shoot so similar; it's crazy. Bob's bow is a little bit faster than Dave's at Kalamazoo, but I'm also pulling back 50 pounds at the same time. Right. On a two inch uh, smaller bow. And so uh, I feel, I feel bad at this point because I, uh, because I'm looking now, if I look for any other bow other than the Kalamazoo bow works bow, I'm looking for those characteristics. I'm looking for a repeatable grip. I'm looking for a smooth draw cycle at my draw weight, regardless of the weight. Yeah. It's, it, I don't feel a wall. I don't feel anything. It's, it's just crazy. It, you got to come up to Michigan or come over to Michigan from Minnesota and I'll let you shoot mine for as much as you want at the, at the, at the Compton shoot. And right. I, I'm telling you, if you bought a bow from Dave right now, you would not be disappointed. Like, like I seen your Alcard is like what forty seven pounds? Uh, forty five. Forty five. Yeah, perfect. It would perfect, especially and, and it and it honestly feels like like forty one. Exactly. I was, I was amazed. I was amazed when I drew this back. I'm like, this is like you know, like three four pounds heavier than my Grizzly, and it feels lighter than my Grizzly. You know, it's it, it's amazing. It, and it's just wonderful what these bowyers can do. I mean, it it's just by going to that. And I guarantee that elk card is going to be damn near as fast as your grizzly. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to notice that speed you'll, or that speed gap difference. It's, yeah. it's just really crazy. No, I, I'm impressed so far. Oh, <clears throat> oh yeah. Now I think you're going to really love it. Like I, it's one of those things like uh, I'm on a personal mission with to buy uh, a bow from every bowyer in Michigan. That's that's my thing. Like buy buy local as much as possible. You you know it's funny you say that um, because I, I've I've kind of got the the hankering to kind of do something similar, not necessarily just you know Michigan or whatever, but yeah, um, you know like Kalamazoo Bow Works and uh, oh god, god some of the other. Um, uh, smaller ones that I've, I've started uh, following, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to try, you know, like, like a big stick or something like that. Uh, oh, I would, you know, definitely, you know, the, 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 the Java man was at the top of my list, you know, I oh, mean, it's, absolutely. It's, it's, it's just, you know, amazing, but I, you know, I would like to just, just, just to try and shoot and have, and, and, you know, support just other people that do this, this craft, you know, because, because oh, yeah. I don't have this skill. <laughs> <laughs> whatsoever i am not you know uh i am i am not right. good my, my dad is an amazing woodworker um uh-huh. he, he's it, he knows nothing about bows or anything like that but he's an amazing woodworker uh but i i just i just never got that that trait that that part of the dna just did not filter down to me so i appreciate right. when well you know kind of going back earlier what we we're talking about with 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 people that are artistic and can dream up things and things like that i i really do appreciate that you know because i don't have it so you know i'd like to support it oh definitely it's that's 
also half the allure to me is like I love anything handmade. It's mm-hmm. it's in a world of manufacturing. I I'm in I've been in manufacturing. I work for a, like a big how can I put it a large global company right now and and just to see that come back and little things here and there like a furniture maker to like my grandmother used to take me to craft shows like this is all stuff that people make with their hands Mm -hmm. like they take time out of their day and and they end up selling it for a lot less than what if you were paid an hour to put in the same thing like like really if if your company right now told you, hey, build this in this amount of time, every bowyer, every knife maker, every, I don't know, person who likes to knit hats for a living mm-hmm. is going to lose money because they're sacrificing like that, that hourly wage. Yeah, they're, they're not getting paid. Um, yeah. you, you know, the, you know, the, the, the saying, um, I, I've, I've heard it in, you know, like using like in the trades kind of thing where people are like, well, you know, why, why are, you know, why are plumbers so expensive or why are uh, electricians so expensive? Oh, uh, skilled or, or, labor is yeah, skilled. Cheap, and cheap labor isn't skilled. Okay. That's a good one too. But what I, what I've, <laughs> what I've always heard is a good response is you're not paying me to do what I'm doing. You're paying me to do what I know how to do. In other words, yeah. Um, you're paying for like the years and years and years of experience that I have, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily me, but you know, the, the skilled person right. to, to get to that level of proficiency and craftsmanship. That's what you're paying for so that exactly. I can do the job or they can do the job properly the first time professionally, whatever. You're not just paying, you know, yes, you might be paying for a higher, uh, uh, hourly wage and you're like, well, how right. can some simple little task cost that much? Well, it, you, you're paying, you're paying for, peace of mind that comes with years and years and years of, of, of craftsmanship and knowing, knowing one's trade. So oh, that's, that's, you can't put, so going back to what you said, a person that, 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 you know, builds things. I mean, look at Etsy, right? I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of garbage on there, but there's a lot of good stuff on there. Oh, and, absolutely. you know, but you're right. There's the person's never going to be able to get really what they're um, what they're actually worth, you know, when, when, when you think about it, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. If if I charge like what my company charge uh, pays me an hour for what I put into a knife, like for <laughs> and for what I'm putting out, it's like I think I'm putting out a really good product. But with the hours that I put into it, like if I said, hey, this like ironically, this small knife that I made just as a prototype that I have not made for anybody else. This is my own personal carry. This knife would probably cost almost four hundred dollars. Right. How much time do you have in that one? Uh, a lot more time than I care to admit. Right. And, well, okay. And- well, once all the R and D stuff is done, right? I mean, obviously, it's, it's probably not done. But you know, how much time would it? Uh, well, maybe you don't want to say, but I mean, like, how how much time do you think, on average, you would put into something like that, versus um, something that's just you know stamped out by some you know. Uh, high capacity production you know company well with the models that i have right now from if and it's weird because i do it in batches you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like uh, i'll take a couple orders uh uh 
when possible. If not, then I'll just do one right there on the spot. I really care. But to do a small life like that, I could probably have one start to finish with in a day. And that's without scales, you know, no handle material. That's just doing my rock pattern. And, yeah. and that's a small, basic, very lightweight knife um, to a sheath. And that's just me taking um, taking my time because I want to make sure it's going to be good. It's not that I can't bust one out quicker, but I'm not going to give you the same quality that I can guarantee between, you know, each knife that I make. Right. And, and each one might present a different issue like anything else. It's uh, you were in racing. I'm sure you try in, in cars and su- such if a manufacturer like, Hey, we got this new tire out, try this tire. I'm sure mm-hmm. you went through two or three tires before you went. All right, cool. We, this one's shit. Send yep. it back. We're going back to the old thing. Or, oh yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, it's just trying to cut, find that method. It's something repeatable, something right. you can rely on. And so, but on a small knife, like I can get a handful. If I had all day to work on it in eight hours, I could probably get a lot more done than what I'd love. But like at the end of the day, what I'm doing right now is I'm working on each knife two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I if you call me today, I have nothing in front of you. I could probably have that knife to you by in the mail by Friday as a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And that's working on it for about two hours a night. Right. And, and the, so by Friday morning, it should be good. So that's about eight hours into that knife right now. And that's only a little bit here and there. And that's if nothing comes up as a problem and a finishing right. issue or anything. Yeah. Heat treatment, especially. I'm so anal with my heat treat treatment. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about your um, shit. I mean, we're like an hour and twenty into this, and we're finally starting to talk about your knives. <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know how this goes. I'm sorry, guys. But um, yeah, okay. So uh, you 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 get into uh, knife making. You're like, okay, I have skills. I have. I can combine. You know, you're obviously good with your hands. You're all, and you've got the, the creative vision. You're like, okay, I can do this, right? You watch a few right. YouTube videos, like most of us do. Like, I'm gonna do this. What's the first thing you do? You said you went. To, I mean, I, I'm looking at the same one by thirty Harbor Freight grinder right here. So you know, Sandy, right, s- sitting over here. But um, right. so you you go by that, and uh, you know, I'm gonna t- you know, I'm gonna turn on video for like a quick second here. Hopefully, my okay. uh, my thing doesn't uh, screw up because I'm gonna show you a really shitty knife that I I don't know if I can turn the video on or not. Um, let me see. There uh, you go. Okay, okay. Okay. So you see this, this piece of crap right here. Okay. It's not a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> this I'll is show the, you a piece of crap. I got one in my garage right this now. This is the antler. Okay. That I uh-huh. shot that, that was that Mosa Nagano was telling you about. Okay. Yeah. This was the whopping. This is all the bone that was on that. Right. I mean, there was nice. one on the other side, this tiny little thing. Okay. That, <laughs> okay. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do something with this. And then, uh, this this uh blade that i made uh-huh. um took forever to um uh to sharpen and this was out of a like one of the big industrial hacksaws 
hacksaw blades. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. seen one of those like reciprocating hacksaws? That's like, it's on a, it's on a big cart. Um, it literally looks, it looks like a, like a choo-choo, like locomotive kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a giant blade, right? I mean, it's like a three yeah. foot blade or whatever. Um, this is part of that. So we had a bunch of these, you know, that we'll never ever run through in the shop in, in a million years. Right. And, you know, it's thick, it's hard to grind, whatever. And it's still not razor sharp. I mean, it's, it's as sharp as I can get it, but I need way more, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just too obtuse, uh, to, uh, an angle. Right. So mm-hmm. that is the one and only knife that I ever made. Okay. Right on. Um, and, and I, I don't, I, how do we even get talking about this? We were, we were talking about something, but, um, about getting into it or, Oh yeah. Yeah. Getting into it. So I, I made this one. I'm like, you know what? Knife making is not for me. Um, I, <laughs> and, and I, uh, I'm going to shut the video off here. Cause I'm going to, let's see. Um, so there we go. So I made this thing and yeah. it's still sitting here as a souvenir. You know, I've, I've, you know, cut a few things with it, whatever, but it's nothing that I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to, that's going to be my go-to. But, uh, I just literally just made this with a, a grinder and a sander. Okay. Right. No right. heat treat, no nothing. In fact, it's probably mm-hmm. taken some heat treat out of this because I had to heat the damn thing up so much because I'm grinding it. Uh, right. where, where did you learn about metallurgy? Uh, where, where, I mean, there's, cause there's, there's an art and there's a science to it, but there's an art right. to it, you know, and, um, I've, I've tried to follow the whole, okay, well you need to heat it and then you need to quench it and then you need to stress relieve it. And it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. what is it? Do you heat it slowly? Do you cool it quickly? Do you cool it slowly? You know what I mean? Right. Um, where did you first go to like learn that kind of stuff? Well, in the beginning, I, uh, I was telling you, I was looking up YouTube and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, you can find quite a bit on YouTube. I'm pretty sure you can build a house from scratch yeah. on YouTube and anybody who watches, obviously they know that, but <clears throat> I went there. Then I, I started Googling, I found blade forums uh, and people like asking these questions, same question, same questions that I had. And I'm just going through these forums constantly, constantly, constantly. And I'm just researching it. Like, and generally I, I, it gave it pointed me in the right direction and, and it hasn't failed me yet. So it was, and like I was telling you, like I made a lot of stuff way before I ever decided to sell any of it because mm-hmm. I tested it and it looked like crap when I first did it but you know it was just trying to figure out what to do you know what I mean like all right cool I tried this let's try something different or like I used angle grinders to file uh, just a filing jig it was a two by four uh, an eye bolt a, uh, a metal rod and a, and just a file and and a nail to keep me from going past a certain point and just Mm. clamping it down to a piece of wood i mean you there there are a lot of guys who will show you the processes on there and and they tell you what steals like all right if you want something easy to heat treat like the first thing i was told was oh one tool steel 1095 1085 1075 because they're super easy you can quench them in just about any oil you could i've i've heard of guys quenching them in old motor oil mm-hmm. you know uh, to vegetable oil you can get the proper quenching oil online for a 
five gallon jug you're paying 120 bucks for or whatever. Right, I'm going to interrupt you right here. Why oil okay. and not water? Is it just because it's not going to steam up and, or, or what, what, what is, why, why oil? Oh, science is wonderful. Um, uh, oil isn't as rapid as water. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like it, the oil will retain heat. Like I have, I heat up my oil beforehand. And you're thinking, why would you heat up oil right before you're going to put in your blade? But you don't want that one extreme to another. You know, water is an extreme. Yeah. Like, like, uh, kind of like when somebody takes a boiling hot cup of coffee out in the wintertime when it's 20 below zero and it's dry as hell. Mm-hmm. They throw it up in the air and all of a sudden you see mist or, or I'm sorry, snow happen. Or right. Yeah. Yep. It crystallizes. It's the same and, thing. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Thank you. Crystallizing. So in that extreme, you can actually get cracking and warping and, and whatever. So with oil, it's, a, it's literally a lubricant between the two. It's, it has more viscosity than anything else. It's, okay. it's what I've been taught, and there are way more smarter people out there than me. They can explain it a lot better. So I, uh, but like, but you don't need an expensive quench oil to do this. Like, do it in vegetable oil, uh, right? Canola oil. Uh, use motor oil. You know. And and you're not forging your your uh, your no. knives, right? You're you're grinding no. them out, and yep, then you're heat removal. treating them. Yeah, and then you're heat treating them to what does that take away the like the brittleness of it or does it make it stronger or what does it do well it takes uh the molecules in the blade in the steel so when the steel is formed think of it as kind of like a loose fist okay yep so basically you take your molecules and when you're heating it up you get them to where the malleable all right and they're wanting to form to something perfect when you quench it in oil you take that loose fist and just tighten it as as hard as what you can and you're taking all those molecules in the in the metal and you're just making it as hard and stiff like and it just think of it as like frozen in time mm-hmm. and that's the dumbest way i could put it out because no that's that the only makes... way my brain could think <laughs> yeah 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 no no that, that makes sense yeah but uh like going in that motion it's so you're getting as hard as what you can. And then uh, through your temperament, what you're doing is you're just trying to relax it enough so that steel is usable. And this is all trial and error. Um, like most steel manufacturers uh, that, or even distributors will have heat treatment um, uh, guide, guides to go by. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like a little table of contents, stuff like that. Like, oh, if you have a one, you want to, 1500 degrees quench it in a a warm oil they'll even tell you a perfect oil temperature you know depending on what you're using you know it's it's these little things that can really make something so common and into something so effective Mm -hmm. you know so it was, but like I said, it's, this was a lot more of my own trial and error. Like I, uh, I had to find out what my makeshift forge would do. 
and kind of go from there. Like how long I would have to work to seal the fire, what color I had to find right before I quench it. Mm -hmm. Then, then after I quench it, like how long do I let it cool before I start my tempering cycles? How long, like in each oven, because one thing I use is like in a handful of other makers, they'll use like a uh, toaster oven because it's small, it's ineffective, and it comes all the way up to 500 degrees. When you're only looking for about between 375 to 400 with most carbon steels. So talk a little bit about tempering. Can you explain uh, the kind of what that is exactly and what what it's accomplishing? All right. You know, what you're doing is you're using heat to draw out the hardness. You're relaxing the molecules in the steel. Okay. Just a little bit more. It's not going to be relaxed to where it was before heat treat. Right. Like uh, with your quench, but you're trying to retain hardness, but make it to the point where it's not so brittle and not so soft that, you know what I mean? It's, it'll hold the edge, but every time you use it, you don't have to resharpen it every five seconds. And and this is the part that always confused me, you know, is like, like I said, you're, you, you, you heat it up, you quench it. That makes it, like you said, really hard. You know, like you said, frozen in time, right? Boom. Right. And then, and then in my mind, it's like, okay, well, why are we softening it up again? You know, like why, why not right. just take it up to that temperature in the first place? Why do you have to go through an extra step? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's those kind of things that that's, that's always kind of like, uh, I, I understand the, the steps I know, you know, I may know the steps, but I don't understand the metallurgy behind it. And, and, and right. being, being of like, I have to ask those questions. Right. And, oh, of course. um, and, and, and metallurgy to me was, you know, I really wasn't exposed to it until I got into racing because there is a lot of that when we, when we talk about uh, components and cars and uh, you know, things that break right with, uh, right. with heat, with vibration, with uh, stresses and all that kind of stuff. So you're, you're almost kind of um, you have to take a, you know, no pun intended, a crash course. Okay. In, in, <laughs> in metallurgy, in racing, right uh, throughout the years and you slowly learn some stuff and, and every day, you know, you, you learn stuff like, Oh, I didn't know that that would happen. I didn't know that this vibration would do this. I didn't know that this heat would do that. Um, you know, so I, I do have an interest in what metals do and why, but I just, I've, I've just never really understood the, or it's been, hasn't really been explained to me at the, 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 the molecule level, um, when it comes Mm -hmm. to, knife making and, and forging and tempering and, and that kind of stuff. I have like a surface understanding of what those terms are, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm in, in my mind, it's like, it gets lost when you have like the virtual, like little molecule things like floating around and, you know, in your brain going now, what is it really doing? You know? And then what does that really translate to in the real world kind of thing? Right. So, so you like, so certain steels um, are, I mean, there's like so many different steels out there. Right. So, Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So, so you're liking the, the easier to sh- easier to work with and easier to sharpen steels kind of like, uh, right. is it, is it layman's term to call them middle of the road steels? Uh, middle of the road. It's uh it's a high carbon steel for the most part. And, and it's not just, um, uh, it's for two reasons. It keeps costs down and you're getting a very effective knife, but the only downside is it's a high carbon knife which is up and down it's high carbon will hold this edge longer as opposed to 
most stainless, not all stainless, just some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I can keep my cost down and it's easy to heat treat with the basics that I have in my shop right now. I don't have a big, crazy, expensive uh, grinder heat treat oven right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, but I did purchase one. I'm actually waiting on it uh, on a call in the next two weeks to go pick it up. And with this, I'll be able to experiment more with different steels, especially some more of these more high end steels. But I'll probably do that as a, um, a specialty thing, like somebody calls in and I'll go ahead and just order the steel in. But but that's going to boost up pricing, you know. It's I, because my whole idea was was behind this with uh, as I wanted to keep costs low for like uh, for guys who wanted to try. Mm-hmm. and get a custom knife for the first time yeah and keep it in an affordable mark uh like how can i put this it's like i always wanted a custom knife when before i got into this mm-hmm. but i can never really justify it at the time and now seeing what i do like everything that goes into it i can justify the craftsmanship and the price but i'm trying to keep the price low to keep it manageable for average day blue collar workers to white collar workers whatever you know but i'm i really work towards that because you know some people want that little special thing that you know they they've been putting a little bit aside for a couple months and like man i want this blade i want this on it i want this handle material i want this length you know can you do a leather sheath for me it's like yeah sure can you know it's it's a it's a price point thing for me when it comes down to it you're kind of like um uh the knife version of like kagan mccabe on uh for uh, omega longbows Uh, do you know know kagan at all um Uh, i do follow yeah, so he, um, he he's been on the show, and you know, mm-hmm. he, people ask him, "Hey, you know, uh, like, like he's he's known as like an affordable kind of, uh, and this is his words, entry level uh, custom bow, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Omega longbows makes makes a great bow, uh, super tough, nothing really fancy. You know, he doesn't really do a lot of the fancy veneers, he doesn't do a lot of the fancy inlays or anything like that, but right. he." his whole niche is I'm going to sell a longbow to the working man or woman. And uh-huh. uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be affordable. And it's not going to, you know, it's not going to cost an arm and a leg. Um, right. And he, you know, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he, he said he just doesn't really want to stray from that too much. Cause this is, this is something that he can kind of, I don't want to say crank out, but like he knows how to make them the way he makes yeah. them like that. And there's a big demand for him. And there he's got a, like a rabbit following um, for just, Oh yeah. Uh, for that kind of stuff. So I can understand where you're coming from, where it's like, okay, well, this is what I'm offering at least right now. Now you're, like I said, you're a creative guy. I'm sure you're going to, you know, evolve one way or another and maybe change it up. But I, I, I see your, your kind of vision for uh, what you're putting out right now. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's almost to the T it's, you know, I'm trying to think of words like coming from a person in my background. It's just like, I didn't 
we, I didn't have a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. so what I had, I coveted. I wanted to hold on to it and I cherished it. And like, uh, I, my biggest thing that I get from, like I said, keep my costs low, keeping it durable is I'd love getting these, these random messages from a customer. Like I got one on my last three, I just sent out, like, like you told me, I, I'm not trying to brag, but I, I, I'll brag. I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging, <laughs> but he sent me this awesome message and he's just gloating and he's ecstatic about it. And he's a, he's a grandfather, you know, he, he does, uh, he's a retired police officer out West in Arizona. And, you know, for his spare time during the holidays, he dresses up as Santa Claus for kids. Mm-hmm. And he's huge in the outdoors and he wanted this knife. And he's like, man, this egg is going to go to my grandson. It's going to be awesome. It's, he's just talking it up. And I'm just, I, I read it at work and at my, on my break and, and I'm just grinning ear to ear the rest of the night. You could not have taken like that, that smile off my face with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the best feeling. And like, I love those messages more than anything else. And I have yet to hear anything bad from any of the products I've ever put out. And the one thing I love to hear is I want to get a knife for my son, my daughter, my brother, like we're going on this trip, we're doing this. And I wanted something kind of special for he and I, or her and I, or whatever. And and then I get these little videos of like, these surprise things and that's and that's the main reason why i'm trying to keep my costs at an affordable rate for people and and so that they can create that memory and that thing that they could pass down or give to a gift and they could pass down or just like that 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 feeling is the most incredible thing i could ever ask for and it brings me a little bit more joy in my life every time mm-hmm. I hear it and you know I might go through hell to get that knife out the door and make sure it's everything I can I can give you like I I, I will never say I make the perfect knife I am striving for perfection in everything I make every every the next knife I make is going to be better than the one before right you know what I mean it's and that's just the way life is it's you got to strive for that perfection when and where you can. And I'm striving for my perfection in that, in me being a father, a husband, a son, a brother, mm-hmm. you know, and these little things in life. And as a craftsman, it's, I try and take that over. And yeah. That's, that's pretty lacking these days, unfortunately. It's, you know? And, so, it, and you can, but you can find it. That's the thing is like, you can yeah. find it in certain makers. You can find it. And these, and these guys trying to come up, like, especially in the traditional archery community, you like these guys that make custom arrows, like arm guards, tabs mm-hmm. to um, obviously bows, the strings, like this Steve Angel at uh, traditional outdoors. Like that man makes a hell of a string. I just bought two off and we'll probably buy two more. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the quality and, and everything like he makes you could tell like when he's making it it's just it's a good product it's a great product yeah yeah no yeah. Uh, absolutely um okay so uh 
the, the different styles of knife knife that you have the different models uh-huh. are you um i i've i've, I've kind of kind of gone through instagram and things like that but mm-hmm. um you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you offer and uh you know what the differences are with it between them oh definitely um like right now my most popular model is like what i consider to be my hiker um what is it uh jason say kopiak review three of them uh that he got for me and that's that's been my most popular one because it's a very cost effective uh right now it's um what is it like 125 to your door mm-hmm. and um that comes with the neck sheet uh, uh a sheath it's a neck knife it doesn't come with a belt loop or anything i can't add that um, that's one of my most popular ones right now. I do offer that in a non-rock pattern with a handle, uh, like what Schaefer Magnet got over at Green Mountain Tradcast. Um, What's a rock pattern? I'm sorry. What, what does that mean? Um, if you see it, I, like, if you go to my rock, it's a bare bones knife, no handle material whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having a plain handle, which like, uh, some might makers do and it's just fine it looks great but i wanted something a little bit different i wanted to reduce as much weight off of it as what i could and also give it grip at the same time and so now i've got one of those knives down to like like two and a half ounces i think oh, it is wow. like three ounces so especially for someone like as a neck knife it's um you'll notice that it's there but it's not so cumbersome you know what mm-hmm. i mean to where you're like god it feels like a like a a, a really weak midget hanging around my neck <laughs> kind of like a turtleneck or whatever you know <laughs> but um but so that would be the one then the next would be uh my hunter model and uh i've been trying to come up with a cool name for it, like a black bear or like a cougar or something but no it's just my hunter model it's just very basic it's uh uh, it's just a nice drop point hunter. Uh, I just started offering that in a rock pattern uh, as well. So skeletonized, super lightweight, but I also offer a variety of handle materials. I've done anything from desert iron, wood burl, to Picote, uh basic micarta G10s, uh, like uh, bolster and uh, handle material. You can go into any combination you want, right? Mm-hmm. And that one usually starts off at 175 with G10 handles. And if you get it rock patterned, I actually took 10 bucks off of it. Uh, it doesn't take any less of time, but it's less money in materials, yeah. like uh, uh, in G10. Then uh, the next one, like I've done a variety. I've done a lot of custom work in that was kind of like my bread and butter for a while. I didn't really have a model. I was just kind of taking ideas from, from my customers or friends or whatever. And they're like, well, and my biggest thing is like, I want to build something that you want, that you're envisioning in your head. So give me some pictures of handles. You find a line that you like or a knife style, a knife blade. All right, cool. Well, you're trying to stay in a budget. Well, I can make it for at this length that, you know, this length of blade or whatever. And so that was kind of, that was always kind of my thing. Like I, I wanted to get what you wanted. So that was, 
I would draw something custom up for you. It might take one. It might take five drawings later. But I wanted to give you that. But uh, it, in turn, some of those things, like I got a, a Skinner model that uh, my buddy who used to be ex-Special Forces, he wanted a nice knife for him and his son for their first hunting trip. So that's what they got. And then another friend of mine wanted a, kind of like a, something with some curves in it. So that's how I came up with my Defender, my my uh, my fighter model, I guess you would say. Uh, it's it's heavy handled. It's it's evenly distributed. It's it's to me the weight is in the right spot, and um, like that thing. Jeez, I've sold one of those for up to 450 bucks because a guy wanted like the fanciest handles you can ever get, two different sheaths for just certain situations. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, and that's just with my 1090. Like I said, that's just running 1095. That's like my base points are are pretty low, but it all depends on how much, how fancy you want it to get. Like you can go as basic as you want, be in the 175 to 200 and for a larger knife or you can like it like a couple of my buddies and friends have done and one of these customers is like you can spend two to three hundred dollars on handle material and knife sheath options you know it's the sky's limited like i i wish i had more models to tell you but the fact of the matter is a lot of my models have come from customer orders, like, like completely customs and people liked them. So I just kept on making them and making them, making them like I made Bowie knives. I made sacks, um, knives, which I actually want to make another one of those here real quick. Cause I just love the shape of them. Um, but I've made hidden tangs, but the majority of my knives are like, like a four inch and smaller blade and what you consider a classic hunter, you know, something small, concealable, something you can throw in a pack, um, just anything like that. And yeah. I'm, I'm scrolling through your Instagram here as, as, as we're talking. So yeah, I mean, you've got, it, it seems like you've got some kind of, uh, you know, b basic shapes that, that you kind of start with, but I see yep. a lot of customization here with, um, uh, a little bit variances in blade shape, a little bit variances in handles and, and, and right. scales and stuff you use. So, yeah, I mean, so basically truly, you know, truly custom. So, um, yeah. so where, uh, where can, uh, I mean, how do, how do people contact you? What, what do we, you know, if, if someone wants like, Hey, I want to, I want to check out one of these things. Right. Well, it's, uh, right now the best spot to get a hold of me is on Instagram. Uh, I'm more active on that than I am on Facebook anymore. Mm -hmm. I actually post more stuff, like more pictures of my work on Instagram than I do on Facebook. So it's uh, uh, Travo Styles on, um, on Instagram. If you want to look me up on Facebook, it's Travis Styles. I'm uh, in the Grand Ledge area. I can't remember what picture I have up right now, but it's probably me and my son. Me, my fat face, and my cute little kid uh, in Chicago. So, um, oh yeah, the one where you buy a bridge over here or something like that. Is that uh, is that the yeah. one? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I was just, yeah. I was just scrolling past that. Yeah. And that kid was happy as hell because he got to eat a chocolate sundae. So it's <laughs> like, you want another one? Yeah. Smile. <laughs> but yeah, he still talks about that spot. I'm going back to Chicago. All right. One day, buddy, we'll go. Don't yeah. Worry. It's amazing yeah. the little things they remember, you know? Oh, God. That's all he talks about. Man, it was yeah. almost two years ago. But, um, but anyway, no, you can find me there. Um, those are the best spots. Like, don't be afraid to send me a personal message. Like, send me a personal message. Like, hey, I heard you on here or seen your knife on uh, one of my friends' head, whatever. Like, I'll sit there and if, as long as I have time, obviously, because I'm, I work afternoon shifts, but, um, you know, so I'll always try and take time out to answer any questions. Um, that you might have uh, i'll be up front with you and i'll try and give you the best product that i possibly can um i'm not doing this to make a mint i'm this is literally just a hobby and if i get any larger i'm gonna have to start making it into a business so keep me right in that even playing field so yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned uh, J- Jason did a review on his channel like a couple of years ago, I think it's been, or maybe like a oh, year yeah. and a half, something like that. So I, I don't Definitely. know what it's called, but uh, you just have to search uh, his like 800,000 videos that he has and find <laughs> it. But um, he, he goes a little reviews. more in depth. Yeah, he goes more in depth on uh, on, on the knife that you uh, uh, made for him and stuff like that. So um yeah they're 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 definitely sweet definitely check out uh your instagram all right so we we're like like almost two hours in we've we've covered covered, i know i know we've covered a lot here is there anything else uh, i ramble that's okay whatever (laughs) (laughs) i i knew this going in so (laughs) no 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 i mean just in any any anyone i start i'm like you know what this could be like an hour it could be like two and a half three but we haven't gone past three but um is there anything we haven't covered here that uh that you want to talk about well no just uh i really don't have much man it's uh, it's been awesome yeah, it really has. I really appreciate this. I had a great time. I love talking about hunting. To you want to talk knives, I'll talk knives. You want to talk bows, I'll talk bows. It's uh, kind of like my two big passions right now. And besides my son and my wife, and you know, being a family man. But that's that's really about it, man. No, I and I appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate you know people like you out there putting out this kind of stuff because uh, you know it's cool. You know, craftsmanship is cool. And, uh, like I said, I, I don't have a creative eye. And when I, when I see people that do, I'm like, Oh, sweet. I'm glad people like that exist because if it was just people like me, uh, it would be a pretty dull world. So, (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) You know how that goes. Yeah. I do. I do know how it goes and you know, it's, I appreciate that. It's, it's something that I look for in, in the same way that you look for it. It's yeah. It's like, man, I never thought about building a bench out of pine needles and glue, but here somebody did it. And that is the coolest bench I've ever seen, you know? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Um, so stay with me here uh, after we hang up. So uh, thanks for being okay. on. Definitely check out uh, Travis on uh, on Instagram. A lot of cool stuff out there. You get an idea of uh, the kind of knives and shapes and and, and kind of customizations that, that he does. So uh, he's already told you how to, how to reach out to him. And uh, if you like this episode, please like, share, subscribe, uh, review, 
or rate. In fact, I don't care about a review. Well, I do, but rating is more important. Definitely uh, rate, rate the thing, share as much as you can. And uh, I guess with that, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, let's see. I'm still, we're still recording here, even after I said yeah. I'll talk to you later. All right, I'm going to leave that in. There we go. Recording <laughs> off. Boom. <laughs>